host, Annie Randall, and this is a safe space for real talk regarding all things Jesus, mental health, and of course, your relationship with food. the second season of Triad Warriors, the podcast where we are talking all about the many, many factors that can cause and or influence disordered eating. With us today, we have another special guest, Nadine Roy, LPC. Nadine is going to be talking all about the intersection of trauma and eating disorders. But before we get started, I do want to issue a trigger warning. Today, we will be talking about some extremely heavy and potentially sensitive topics including religious trauma, sexual trauma, eating disorders, substance abuse, and death. If these are topics which could possibly trigger or harm you, then please, I encourage you not to listen. Turn off the episode and come back next week. My feelings will not be hurt and we will not be offended. And for those who do want to listen and who do want to learn from our guests today, then I encourage you to check in with your body throughout this entire episode. Take note of any stress, anxiety, tension, panic, overwhelm, fear, anger, frustration, and or sadness that may arise and respond in whatever way you feel is best for you and your mental health. If that means turning off the episode, then turn it off. If that means pausing the episode and coming back later, then hit that pause button. Basically, I want to be upfront with you regarding the topics for today, which again include religious trauma, sexual trauma, eating disorders, substance abuse, and death. And I want to give you permission to take care of yourself. Okay, so now that we have that all settled, let's hop into the introduction of our guest, Nadine Roy. Nadine is a feminist therapist serving both Oregon and Washington through Golden Crane Counseling. She specializes in treating eating disorders, deconstruction, and religious trauma. Nadine has experience working at a university, group practice, and the residential level of care for adults with eating disorders. She is passionate about using individual, family, and group therapy towards each client's healing process. She attributes her own recovery to the continuous challenging and deconstruction of internalized oppressive systems in order to strive for external empowerment for self and others. She values walking beside her clients in the same direction toward their own versions of empowerment. And let me just say, it is truly an honor and a privilege to have Nadine with us on the show today. I first met Nadine through Dr. Kay Bruce, who is a professor at Western Seminary in the Clinical Mental Health Program. I am currently attending Western and Nadine is an alum. Thus, Dr. Bruce connected us based on our shared interest in eating disorder recovery. I'm extremely excited for today's episode. I've already told you that um, because Nadine has so much knowledge and insight to share with you all. But before we get into today's, to today's topic, I did want to give you an opportunity to share a little more about yourself, Nadine. Maybe share a little about your educational background, why you got into counseling, and how this topic relates to your personal story. Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to mention first that I didn't actually expect to specialize in eating disorders when I went to grad school. Um, I applied to work at a 
clinic for eating disorders right after my bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. and was denied and that really discouraged me Um, but I always knew I wanted to be a trauma therapist so that was kind of the route that I originally thought I was going in grad school but I myself like you said I'm recovered from an eating disorder and that really influences my work a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I suffered from my disorder for a little over 12 years starting around age eight and at first it was just like a means of coping with a chaotic family structure and there was some guilt about like taking up resources my own eating disorder shifted a lot um so i'm going to go over like behaviors like restriction binging Mm -hmm. binge purge cycles all of those things um and it wasn't actually about weight loss for me either probably until like high school So initially, my relationship with my body was broken around age four or five. I experienced ongoing sexual abuse in our home church. And as I like look back on this part of my childhood now, I can see that this experience formed like a shameful posture toward my body and created this theme in my life of hiding. And that's like breeding grounds for an eating disorder. Like I've seen that in in all my clients. Um, So now I see how that church environment even, and like institutionalized religion in general, layered this complex trauma with that theme of shame. Um, I grew up very involved in church and in helping raise my siblings. Um, So whatever part of, whatever church my mom was a part of is kind of where I was expected to thrive and and like help with my siblings. And um, I also started working like cleaning houses fairly young and life felt very busy. I was expected to excel in school and at work and in church. Um, so all those pressures were another like driving force of the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also relate to that with so many of my clients as well, seeing like the pressures of life and needing the, needing something to cope with them and something to like keep you going. Yeah. Um, but relationships were a huge part of my healing, relationship with my mom, core group of friends and mentors. Um, they helped me process things like disordered eating, depression, suicidal thoughts and even my sexuality and even despite like my anger towards church in this I actually chose to go to religious schools um so I got my education from my bachelor's degrees and master's degree from religious schools in the Oregon area Uh, my father's really involved in Christian education his family like is really involved in that so it was really affordable and this also formed the way that I I now think about like my faith and think about eating disorders and counseling and um, using spirituality in the counseling realm. Um, so I'm really grateful for that experience and that I actually like decided to keep pursuing education that route, even though it wasn't what I immediately wanted to do. Um, my first year out of school, um, out of the bachelor's degree, I started working with a therapist named Amber. Um, I call her like my magical therapist. She was like the one who really got me on track as far as recovery. I I thought when I was doing my undergrad that I was working toward recovery, but I think that program I applied for could see I was still like really enmeshed in diet culture and, and not fully out of it. And Amber started instilling those values of empowerment and letting go of diet culture. And that's what I, I consider like really true healing from this. Um, I did have a pretty major relapse uh, around two years out of school I was in an abusive relationship and I that just highlighted like the function of the eating disorder for me is like I went back to it thinking I needed that to cope with what was going on in my life like to cope with being in that relationship and like my environment 
Um, but again, my family helped me get out of that and my relationship with them was a, a core part in like finding vulnerability and healthy relationship again. And then pretty immediately after that, I applied to Western and really wanted to help other people with their, their trauma and walk, walk with them through that. So that it also fueled my passion to help people in similar circumstances and to help heal their relationship with their bodies and with other people and their access to vulnerability. Um, and then the past two years, I've been working for Montanito, um, which is a, a big, large company that treats eating disorders at all levels of care. And I learned even more working there about eating disorders and trauma and um, healing my own relationship with my body, even through working with clients. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah. Like, that's a very, um, it's a story that has a lot of pain in it. Mm -hmm. And I just love how you've turned pain into something that can be a source of healing for so many other people. Yeah. And there's just so many layers in that, which is related to everything we're going to be talking about today, where it's like having the religious trauma and the sexual trauma and being in abusive mm -hmm. relationships and just like really dealing with these things that impact us at such deep levels, like yeah. specifically like religious trauma impacting us on this spiritual and physical and emotional level. And it's mm -hmm. just so deep and so painful, especially growing up in the church yeah. and like having it something that was some, that was just normal in your life. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just thank you so much for your vulnerability and for your story. That's like the thing I love about stories is it allows us to see see the world through somebody else's eyes mm -hmm. and to really experience their world and their reality because our own reality is not always the only reality that's out there. There's so many other realities. And so, yeah, yeah I just really thank you for sharing that story and for being vulnerable. I think that takes a lot of courage. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, and your personal stories as well as your clinical experience that you explained um with eating disorders is really going to be such value for today's episode mm -hmm. uh so as you talked about in your story and as we talked about in our pre-recording session trauma is largely connected to disordered eating and eating disorders that's mm -hmm. why healing that was a big part of like your healing journey and now obviously trauma is a blanket term and it can encompass a lot of different things and a lot of different experiences one of which does include religious trauma. So with that in mind, in what ways is religious trauma connected to eating disorders? Can you explain the mechanisms and the overlapping pathologies of each disorder? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I did want to mention this isn't a, a judgment on on religion or people like practicing their spiritual mm -hmm. practices. It's especially in in religion extremism, um, religious extremism, which I've seen in so many clients too, it goes back to that theme of shame. Mm -hmm. And I was mostly raised in like an extreme evangelical context, also mm -hmm. some like Baptist context. But I, I've seen this with lots of different religions when they get taken to it to an extreme of trying to influence people's lives um, more than what their autonomy is. Is that that tends to start to breed shame because it's a behavior-based system so people's value in the world gets based on how they act and like what they do mm -hmm. and how they perform mm -hmm. and if you fall short in any way from what the expectation is of the group or even like people say the expectation of god then then that's that instills shame into us and we we think like we're not enough and we can't measure up and 
and it's impossible to actually fully follow out the set standards that a lot of religions put forth like even thinking about my church growing up was there was like a million different ways that you could sin every day and of course you did and so you would fall short every single day of this perfect standard that was upholding and therefore you weren't right with God and maybe God didn't love you and maybe you weren't deserving of love Mm -hmm. and so that's a huge a huge part of what takes a toll on our self-worth and then just continues to breathe that shame and hiding and wanting to hide from others there's also if to think about it scientifically um that it affects the way our brains develop Mm -hmm. and so the prefrontal cortex developing in in younger years if you're like a child in a religious context it affects our decision making skills that's where all the decision and, and logic happens in that prefrontal cortex and if you're taught to never question anything and to just always obey without actually thinking for yourself then we we grow up with that pattern and we approach everything else in our life with this I just need to obey and not question these things that I've heard. So when you're presented with something like diet culture, you think, oh, I I can't question this. I just need to obey and follow every new like diet fad in order to like Mm -hmm. be good enough or like be healthy and and measure up to the standard. And it bleeds into like other relationships. But the, the big problems occur when we're unable to, and then we get back in that shame cycle. Um, and it has to just continue those behaviors and that we used to cope with the shame and the not being able to measure up. Yeah. Um, When we were talking, to interrupt for a second, when mm -hmm. we were talking in our uh, kind of pre-recording session and you talked about the prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. that was honestly like such a like epiphany moment, I guess, Mm -hmm. for me, because I myself have also experienced religious and sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. And when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And it really makes sense then as to why it's connected to eating disorders and connected to diet culture. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's like, oh, someone says, don't eat this food because it's bad for you, quote, bad for you. It's like, okay, like I'm going to believe that. And it's just like not really thinking about, well, like also this doesn't make sense because everyone says every food is bad for us. So like, let's really like logically think through this. You haven't learned to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we weren't we just weren't taught to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was definitely a light bulb moment for me too. When I yeah, that. yeah, it's like because questions were dangerous, mm-hmm. and it's like if you ask questions, then it was like, oh, your faith was like unsteady, and it's like, okay, well, if we can't ask questions, then what does that say about the fragility of our faith? Like, yeah. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm glad it's helpful. I hope it's helpful to other people too. Yes, I hope so. I th- mm-hmm. I think it will be. Yeah. <laughs> that. That really ties into the the idea of a like sovereign God and God's will being the most important driving force in our decisions, which I, I think a lot of people can find empowerment in. Um, but there's also a lot of research now on this like idea of punishment. Like if we're outside of, of God's will, then we're taught that that deserves punishment. We see that all over like the Old Testament. Um, and that's a, actually a theme in eating disorders too, where if we become outside of standard or outside of the circle mm-hmm. that was drawn for us, then we need to punish ourselves. Though so many eating disorder behaviors then also become like a self-punishment. Or whether it's like obvious, like, oh, I need to exercise because I ate, like I need to punish myself for eating mm-hmm. this food. Or like I'm going to restrict because I feel shame and so somehow I have to punish my body or get this shame out. So. That makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Did you have anything else to add to that question? Oh, I, I just wanted to add there's a great resource. There's a lot of really great books coming out on this, but my, my favorite was called You Are Your Own by mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Finch, if you're interested in reading more about that topic. Awesome. It's cool. One. Thank you for sharing that resource. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be helpful to so many people. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's just, it is so connected between religious trauma and eating disorders and just the way even not necessarily even like trauma or just like growing up not being able to ask those questions like we talked about or even just the whole idea of like then if you dive into like purity culture I don't know if this is something you're going to bring up or not but that you're tru- you're taught not to trust your body yeah. that like your body is shameful and it's evil and it's mm-hmm. you can't listen to it at all like you're yeah. taught not to listen to sexual urges and then that goes into like other urges as well and so mm-hmm. we Mm -hmm. stop trusting our hunger and our need for rest and all these other things and it's just like it creates really this sense of disembodiment and a huge part of healing from eating disorders as you know is embodiment and like coming back home to your body Mm -hmm. which is true with all of these forms of trauma as well yeah 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 absolutely yeah um so when we talked earlier you also described the role that sexual trauma plays in disordered eating and this has kind of come up we've hinted at it so can you spend some time talking about the unique impacts that sexual trauma and relational wounds have in addition can you address the ways in which sexual trauma impacts eating behavior and our relationships with food in our bodies yeah definitely um it's similar like what you just brought up about purity culture is sexual trauma I think there is sexual trauma in impurity culture 100% and if you think about anyone who's experienced sexual assault in that environment already they're they're falling short um, and there's that sense of guilt then mm-hmm. that that comes in there too and most of the work I do with trauma with clients with eating disorders is very somatically based mm-hmm. we talk a lot now it's kind of in in vogue in the counseling world like trauma is held in our body and a sexual assault is a profound wound on our body and our autonomy in our bodies. So those, those wounds get held very differently and, and kind of in confusing ways in our bodies and actually can cause like physical pain, obviously psychological pain, and then can affect deeply our, our ability to trust and form relationships with other people, not just sexual partners, but friendships, families, it affects all of our relationships because it, it affected our relationship with ourself. Yeah. So I, at, at Western, I was trained in somatic experiencing therapy. Okay. And if that's something people are interested, they can always look up Peter Levine. That's where most of my information mm-hmm. from, from that therapy is where I get that. Um, and somatic experiencing therapy is all about tapping into where the trauma in your body has been stored and then helping your body act out the fight or flight response Mm -hmm. that it didn't get to when you were in the immediate danger Mm -hmm. so especially if we experience any kind of trauma as a child and we're like being sexually assaulted or children who experience like like i did ongoing sexual abuse it gets normalized Mm -hmm. but our body knows like I want to run or I want to fight, but they don't get to. And so we can actually act out in slow, intentional ways, Mm -hmm. a fighting response or a running response to that. And it actually activates healing even at the like neurological level. And we can practice that over and over again and teach our bodies that they do have agency over 
how they're touched or like how they move and and can start that healing process yeah and that's such a huge part in healing is feeling like you like, I mean it goes back to like your goal as a counselor is empowerment yeah. even said in your dis- professional description mm-hmm. is helping people to feel empowered that they have agency over their bodies because mm-hmm. it was they were violated in really extreme ways yeah. and ways that impacted them on very deep levels mm-hmm. and feeling like you don't have the agency over your body really strips you of any power. And so it makes sense that that then impacts how you relate to everything, including food, um, but other people and yourself and all of these other layers. And so to help give people the power back over their bodies truly is such a essential part of the healing process. Yeah, definitely. Because if you don't, have control over your body or if you believe you don't have any agency mm-hmm. over what's, what's happening to her then of course you don't you don't want to live in your body you don't want to be embodied you know, yeah. I, I wanted to disconnect from my own body and yeah. ignore those sensations and and just not really care about what what she was asking for and eating because it wasn't safe yeah. and it was painful yeah I completely re- that was like honestly a huge part of my eating disorder too mm-hmm. is like those same mechanisms so like mm-hmm. everything we've been talking about even like in our pre-recording session and then now today I'm like yep this all makes sense like mm-hmm. and recognizing those things has been a huge part of my healing process as mm-hmm. well and so hopefully people just learning this on this episode if they haven't started the journey yet yeah. hopefully that will help them to be like hey there is some connections here and i can go seek healing yeah. from a professional mm-hmm. yeah. yeah hopefully that normalizes it yeah a little because it is way too common way too common people just yeah. live outside of, of our bodies yeah and this that doesn't just go for sexual abuse like any any type of abuse that we experience mm-hmm. from other people even like oppression trauma there's so yes. many groups of people who are just taught in our country and all over parts of the world that they're not mm-hmm. acceptable, their bodies aren't acceptable, yeah. and causes them to disconnect. So. Yes, that's a such a huge thing, and it's unfortunate that as we're talking about religious trauma, it's unfortunate that the church has played a huge role yeah. in like basically weaponizing the word of God in order to uphold oppressive systems. Yeah. And that causes a really complicated mess that you mm-hmm. have to heal from because then it becomes like your spirituality and you're stepping outside of that and it just yeah it becomes very complicated yeah Yeah. it's a lot of really internal relationships and that get disrupted yes 100 percent. i was gonna mention one of my go-to trauma therapies that i use with clients is internal family systems Mm. and that that spiritual relationship is a huge part Mm -hmm. of that it can be a huge part of that therapy it's it's all about all the parts of self that get fractured in mm-hmm. trauma and we tend to organize and isolate parts of self that we don't like because of the trauma we've experienced mm-hmm. and so like child parts or, or parts that were afraid during trauma or parts that mm-hmm. like we think caused certain abuse or, or traumatic events that we try to shut them down and ignore them and pretend they're not there so IFS is all about bringing those parts back into a good relationship with mm-hmm. ourselves, being kind to them, and that's a huge part of healing too. I love that. Yeah, yeah. and that's becoming a lot more popular form of therapy. Mm-hmm. I find these days. Yeah, like there's lots of people practicing that, mm-hmm. which is very helpful. To yeah, heal those internal family systems. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if you're not ready to dive into that really deep work, 
um, CPT, cognitive processing therapy, is a good start. Just working with the thoughts about the trauma instead of like actually diving into parts of self yes. and emotions. That's a huge thing to mention for sure because it's like this stuff is very, I mean, just the fact, you know, we put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. It's very sensitive yeah. um, topics mm-hmm. and things to be exploring. And so sometimes we're not ready yet to explore that. And yeah. if we can even see that in the ways that our bodies will repress trauma and like mm-hmm. we will completely forget that even something traumatic happened to us. Mm-hmm. That happened to me where it was like five years and then all of a sudden I was like had healed like from my eating mm-hmm. disorder in, in some ways. There's like still other levels, but there was like mm-hmm. a level of like healing my physical health. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it just hit me and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I like forget this essentially and so sometimes we're not ready to dive into that Mm -hmm. stuff yet um so that's good that you mentioned kind Mm -hmm. of an alternative like place to start to kind of ease into some of the deeper work Mm -hmm. yeah that's totally fine if not wherever you're at if you're not ready to talk about it or Mm -hmm. some people never remember and you can still heal yeah yeah for sure Awesome. So as I, or did you have anything to add to that before I move on? Nope. Okay, cool. (laughs) As I've talked about in previous episodes, food plays many roles in our lives. Um, That's kind of the whole purpose of this season. Mm -hmm. Um, But food is so much more than just fuel and food can serve many different functions. So with that said, what are the specific roles of food behaviors in the various forms of eating disorders? For example, in what ways do binging, restriction, and purging play functional roles in their associated disorders? Yeah, all of of these behaviors do definitely have functions. And I I think it's important to honor the wisdom behind them. Um, Especially, I just remember reflecting on my own eating disorder and being like, how did an eight-year-old figure out how to like stop eating in order to get some kind of protection it just makes Mm -hmm. no sense Mm -hmm. and of course they're learned um, but that act of restricting our food intake which I'm sure you know lots about it it's a really numbing Mm -hmm. effect it can act as a kind of sedative our a lot of our systems start to shut down and so things like our amygdala aren't going to work as fast or as well and so Mm -hmm. our emotional response and like we just talked about memory is mm-hmm. is going to get it's going to decline mm-hmm. and so we we see this thing with clients we call it brain fog where they can't remember things as well they're they can't hold a conversation like we're mm-hmm. just talking easily now yeah. it takes them a long time to form responses or even engage with others and that can serve as a protective factor to keep them safe from people mm-hmm. and keep them safe from remembering the things around them and then just numbing emotionally when emotions seem overwhelming that's, that's so interesting yeah how like there is like wisdom in it and uh, I like how you acknowledge that because I think going into the shame like oftentimes mm-hmm. we have a lot of shame around these uh behaviors yeah. and it's like recognizing that for a time they did serve us mm-hmm. maybe weren't the best tools but they did serve us yeah in some way or another and recognizing that like there's no shame in that yeah yeah absolutely you don't know how to regulate your emotions or like practice some breathing or mm-hmm. step away then you need something else mm-hmm. uh, on the, the flip side binging can act on the other side of that and i call it like the breaking open of emotions if mm-hmm. some people don't want to stay in that numb place and it's a 
it's a way to kind of flood yourself with emotions, mm-hmm. but it also can act as a sedative for other people too. Some people, when when they binge, they experience like that shutting down, and every mm-hmm. thought and emotion just comes into that experience of the fullness feeling, mm-hmm. and then it gives their their mind something to focus on other than the traumatic thoughts or or feelings. So that it can be pretty dynamic that way, and it's also a food seeking behavior. So. People who have been restricting or dieting or they, their nutrition is, I'm sure you know lots about that too, like mm-hmm. nutrition is, is lacking, our body naturally seeks binging behaviors yes. to overcompensate mm-hmm. and try and get that however we can, which I think is really beautiful that our bodies adapt to do that. Oh, yeah. And protect it's like, us. Our bodies are absolutely incredible that they're like, okay, you're not giving me this. So no. I'm going to figure out a way to make you do that essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's something I talk about on a few episodes back about like neuropeptide Y and the mm-hmm. effects of that. And I love that you're including the other sides of that though, like the emotions and the mm-hmm. like focusing on fullness and the whole other side. Cause I do often focus just because my current background is nutrition I'm in school for mental health but like I have a big focus on oh what's the like physiological biological things that are going on but there's also this whole other like psychological and emotional and piece Mm -hmm. of things and so it's important that we recognize that sometimes binge eating can be maintained even when there's not like severe restriction oh yeah so yeah absolutely has lots of other other ways of of serving us too there's so many incredible analogies with food that I've used or I've even heard people talk about like there's the empty spot where love's supposed to be and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm filling it with this food or mm-hmm. I'm filling it with my my binge of the day or, or whatever and that it makes a lot of sense to them and yeah. I think it's really important to honor yeah, that too. Sure. And then purging um, is also like a stress management. It can be a stress management tool and can offer a lot of temporary relief from like stress and anxiety and even panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I learned this a, a while back where it there's actually some ties to chemical dependency when it comes to purging, because mm-hmm. purging is one of the things that our, our bodies can do that actually causes an increase in serotonin. Mm-hmm. So other things like exercise, and people even have found that with self-harm, where like serotonin becomes more part of our our brain as we purge mm-hmm. and then the cortisol goes down and it, it can help us manage whatever stress or anxiety we're feeling in the moment and then we become dependent on that experience to manage stress instead of again yeah. like breathing or or trying to find something else that's not harmful to us or something that's a long-term fix yeah very similar to how people use different substances to find relief from stress or like relief from a mm-hmm. panic attack in in the moment uh, purging can act as like a really quick fix to something like yeah. self-medicating yeah and going back to what you said about the innate wisdom in that mm-hmm. where it's just something that we just figure out and do mm-hmm. it's like not something that anything that's really necessarily taught to us yeah. it's just like we experience that and then it becomes like you said that kind of addictive type coping strategy that we just continually come back to because we know it's going to help yeah but in the long term not necessarily going to be helpful yeah 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 definitely yeah that one especially i see a lot of shame attached for people Mm -hmm. i think it's important to teach them why their body is returning to it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much shame in all of these 
things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm assuming you know Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. I mentioned her art. If you know her in person, that's great. But you know of her. <laughs> I know of her. <laughs> if you know her in person, then introduce me. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> oh, dang it. Um, but I'm sure you know of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but her work on shame and just talking about the antidote to that being empathy and vulnerability because like shame causes us to go internal and it keeps us stuck in just yeah. these like dark cycles of just like pain and loneliness and shame and all of that Mm -hmm. and so it's like to get out of that is to engage in vulnerability and to be met with empathy and so it's like we have to share with safe people and that's where counselors come in and hopefully there's other safe people in our lives but if there's not counselors are supposed to be that person Mm -hmm. to kind of help one just meet you with empathy but also help provide some of that education that you're talking about that can be so empowering to be like hey this is why you keep going to this it's not because you're failed or flawed or broken yeah there's actual reasons here Mm -hmm. and it's teaching you something about yourself yeah yeah Yeah. learning more about yourself instead of being disconnected from yourself which Mm -hmm. we've already mentioned yeah yeah definitely um yeah so you mentioned substance abuse a little bit and Mm -hmm. so that ties right into our next question so substance abuse disorders commonly occur alongside eating disorders both of which can be quite complex and dangerous on their Mm -hmm. own so can you explain why these two disorders commonly co-occur and why these two disorders are such a dangerous combination yeah it just goes back to the the function and the roles these things play in our in our life a lot of it and the chemical dependency part they cause similar pathways in our brain as far as how our our brain creates neurochemicals Mm -hmm. and so if we have you think about the the window of tolerance like that little middle window where we want to live where we're aware of our surroundings Mm -hmm. and we're comfortable and we're calm when we experience trauma we have PTSD or some kind of trauma response we will be flipped up or down out of that window of tolerance and substances serve to either bring us back down we talk about like uppers and downers of of different substances like a downer would bring us back down into that window things that are sedatives like alcohol can calm us and bring us out of a panic or heightened response and some people are more drawn to uppers because they're pushed down into like a shutdown or like almost like a sleepy sedated Mm -hmm. space to deal with trauma and so they need things like uh, like caffeine cocaine nicotine to like bring them back up Mm -hmm. into their window of tolerance and those are the only tools that they have in order to cope with being dysregulated and so they that's what they're turned to same as eating disorder behaviors Mm -hmm. they can act the same way to keep us inside that comfy middle ground it's also deeply Uh, affected by relationships and connection that was another thing I really wanted to mention because so much of trauma affects our attachment Mm -hmm. and relationship wounds and if we don't have that need of connection met whether we're like really anxious about connecting to people or we we're really fearful of the people that we're close to Mm -hmm. leaving us or we tend to avoid bonding with people and and avoid that those attachment and intimate relationships Mm -hmm. we're not getting the need met perfectly if we're living in a traumatized place and so we have to cope with how painful that is Mm -hmm. that's a almost unbearable reality for people to live without intimate relationships and so there has to be something to help us cope with that and help people get through day-to-day life I think that's really important to remember 
That makes so much sense. I mean, we're relational beings. We're built for relationship and we want to be seen and known and loved. And when we don't have that, that's so painful to Mm -hmm. experience. It's like you have to fill that space with something Mm -hmm. if you're not getting that need met. Um, Because it is. It is painful. And then even going back to what you're talking about with like the area or the zone of tolerance it's like we don't like to feel dis- uh, uncomfortable like we don't like discomfort yeah. and so most of us try to stay in some sort of comfort zone mm-hmm. and when we're falling out of that it makes so much sense why we would turn to things like substances or eating disorder behaviors or other behaviors addictive behaviors yeah. that then help us to get back into that zone of comfortability mm-hmm. yeah they can also be used as tools to connect Mm-hmm. Too, like I see that all the time and and there's like addiction communities is one of the words that yeah. I've I've heard used is you can use the substance to connect to other people or even mm-hmm. eating disorders like mm-hmm. I see that happen all the time where it's normalized for people to connect based on the ways that they hate their body mm-hmm. or to like criticize their body in order to connect with other people and just all those websites in the 2000s where you could go and get mm-hmm. tips and all of that yeah, yeah so gross <laughs> yes yeah. i don't know if they're still going on hopefully not but i'm sure they're out there there are other things now <laughs> there's yeah social media mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big one yeah we don't need websites we got social media now mm-hmm. yeah but yeah that's such a good point is it becomes like it's almost like you know there's like trauma bonding <laughs> yeah and there's also like bonding over using substances or using eating disorder behaviors or other sorts of behaviors as well yeah yeah creates like that false sense of openness and vulnerability Mm -hmm. I think that was a that was a core part of my own struggle with alcoholism is it seemed to create this Mm -hmm. false sense of me like opening up to people and Mm -hmm. also bringing me down from a like constant panic and I feel like I could actually talk to people about what I was actually thinking and feeling if Mm -hmm. I was using alcohol Mm -hmm. but then looking back on it now I can see how fake that was and how those people weren't hearing me or receiving me at all Um, and I I think that's something too I really want people to to see with less shame and be able to talk about more honestly yeah and that's the huge theme here is less shame Mm -hmm. and to be actually known and actually seen and actually loved Mm -hmm. and not in this like false setting that's creating just this fake form of connection yeah 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 absolutely yeah so um do you have anything to add to that question no cool uh the world of psychology is constantly changing and evolving as we begin to learn more about human behavior cognition and emotion as well with that said you had mentioned a newer area of training known as dynamic emotional integration dei when we last talked so what is DEI and how might this approach be helpful in both trauma and eating disorder recovery? Yeah, I think this is a tool that people can learn in therapy. Like I said, it's not a therapy modality, but mm-hmm. and it can be really helpful just on your own. Um, so the, uh, the main source of this practice, Dynamic Emotional Integration, is a book called The Language of Emotions mm-hmm. by Carla McLaren. And the, there's a basic structure for like how to approach your emotions from this perspective. And it's all about like becoming friends with your emotions instead of acting against them. Mm-hmm. So like instead of trying to change how you feel about something with 
eating disorder or substances or whatever it is mm-hmm. that someone's using to engage with the emotion in a compassionate way. So what that looks like practically, if, if you're going to go through a DEI practice, is you start by acknowledging the gifts of the emotion. Mm-hmm. So things like the emotion is teaching you about yourself or highlighting an unmet need or trying to draw you closer to someone, um, whether that's comfortable or not comfortable for you, it's, it's mm-hmm. offering you some kind of gift. And then there are internal statements, which are just like affirmations, basically, about how to offer compassion to this emotion as if it were a, a separate part of you you're talking to, mm-hmm. kind of like IFS. And then you go through any signs, it's called signs of obstruction. So these are gonna be like little red flags that might tell you you're repressing this emotion or ignoring it or like this emotion is is trapped with you. So if you find yourself doing a certain behavior over and over again mm-hmm. or a certain secondary feeling like anger is coming up in, in odd circumstances, that's gonna be a sign of obstruction. Mm-hmm. And then you go through a, a practice like a guided meditation or a physical practice or like a journal prompt that allows you to become more compassionate toward that emotion in your life. Um, and so like, it'd be really easy to do that just on your own. Yeah. Um, there's sure. like even little flashcards that they have you can use to, oh, that's awesome. to go through your relationship with them. It's, I really enjoy using that with clients. That's awesome. It seems like such a practical mm-hmm. way to go about, I like what you said, befriending your emotions because mm-hmm. so many of us are actually like terrified of our emotions yeah. and want nothing to do with emotions. Um, and so, it, yeah, it seems like such a practical, like, here are the steps and here is, like, a guided way to actually engage in that process. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know where to start, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It gives people a starting point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I had a, a client who was really stood out to me who felt deeply, like, those people who just feel everything mm-hmm. that seems like a thousand times deeper than, than other people. And she was judged for this her whole life. Like her parents and, and like her communities, you know, they use the words like dramatic or mm-hmm. we've heard all those kinds of judgments. And her eating disorder served as a way to like dampen those emotions and regulate them. And mm-hmm. and her work with DEI and just any and non judgment in general kind of unlocked those and she got to feel those emotions more fully and it allowed her to write beautiful poetry and mm. make beautiful art yeah. and then just the way she started engaging with other people around her too just like much deeper relationships and mm. I noticed she wanted to care for people all of a sudden and um that that was really cool and it really stood out to me yeah. and I, I think about her a lot because she ended up passing away at the mm. beginning of this year yeah. and she left that legacy though of embracing deeply felt emotions and the way that it benefited her and others around her mm-hmm. and allowed her to like eat again and yeah. heal her relationship with her body um, I'm so sorry that there was that loss I think we talked about her a little bit on our yeah. last meeting and that's just like as somebody who worked with her it's like that's a painful loss for you and yeah. a really complicated loss as well especially mm-hmm. since you were alongside her in that journey yeah. and I'm just so thankful that you were able to watch her kind of step into like levels of freedom mm-hmm. and to really embrace the beauty that is feeling emotions because you're right it's like so many people don't feel emotions on that level mm-hmm. and when we have somebody who does it's like that's a really beautiful thing and they can create artwork and poetry and all of these things that help 
other people who maybe don't know how to be in touch with their emotions feel better, like feel those emotions more. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that she was able to experience some of that freedom and at least for a short period of time, but that's, yeah, very tragic that yeah. she ended up passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is a beautiful legacy. Yeah. Though, and definitely. I think it had an impact on a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like her story is going to continue impacting people. Mm-hmm. And so even if she's not here, it's like you said, her beautiful legacy will, yeah. will live on forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, on that note, (laughs) only a couple of questions left. Um, But before I ask this one, I do want to state that nothing on this episode is a replacement for therapy or medical treatment. Likewise, Nadine's answer to the following question is not individual counseling. So clear to all of the listeners, it's not medical advice or anything like that. So with that in mind though, Nadine, what are the general strategies that one might expect to see during eating disorder recovery and or the trauma healing process? And what are some of the important steps to take or suggestions that you might give to the listeners? Yeah, when I was thinking about this for anyone suffering from an eating disorder or any mental health struggle, um, I would just first wanna encourage anyone to talk to someone who really knows about what you specifically are going through Mm -hmm. because there are so many diverse issues to work with and not every therapist or doctor or psychologist can know about all of them Mm -hmm. and I I say wasted I don't I used a lot of my years talking to therapists who didn't know anything about eating disorders Mm -hmm. and I I feel like I could have found recovery sooner or avoided a lot of re-traumatization by talking to someone who knew about what I was going through so Mm -hmm. seek out an eating disorder specialist or someone who understands what you specifically are going through can save a lot of time I think that's a huge one because Mm -hmm. like eating disorders are really complex there's so Mm -hmm. many layers to them and a lot of professionals for that reason steer away from them because it is there's like I mean it's both a psychiatric and a physical Mm -hmm. disorder like both you're at risk on both sides and so yeah, there's a lot of people who just don't really understand them. And that's fine. They do great work in other realms, and that's their areas of expertise. But if yeah. that's specifically what you're struggling with, like you need to find somebody who understands it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really important. Absolutely. It's easy to enable an eating disorder without knowing you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they don't have any intentions of harm. Like, yeah. <laughs> m- the vast majority of counselors and mental health professionals <laughs> out there have good intentions. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not their fault. Yeah. Um, another thing I I would want someone to know if you've never been to therapy before, hadn't started treating your eating disorder at all, to try and be open to a really wide variety of treatments. Mm-hmm. Not everything is going to work for everyone, but there is group therapy, individual therapy, medication management and then large environment shifts all available to people mm-hmm. if you know where to look for them. And some of these things are gonna be good for you and some of them aren't, like some mm-hmm. of them aren't gonna click yeah. with everyone. Um, I'm a firm believer in really having a diverse type type of treatment for mm-hmm. the eating disorder because the more corners of it you can cover, the better chance you have mm-hmm. of recovery. Yeah. Um, and being ready for a paradigm shift because we tend to live in our eating disorders and they mm-hmm. take over every 
part of our life. And so if you're going to pursue recovery, you're going to have to change not only the way like you personally think about food in your body, but then take this inventory of how all of your people in your life think about food Mm -hmm. and bodies and whether or not they belong in your life or if you can talk to them about your boundaries about your body Mm -hmm. and relationships tend to take pretty drastic shifts as one person pursues pretty drastic healing this happens Mm -hmm. a lot of people recover from addictions too there's their whole community that's based on their substance that they use is is going to shift and that can be really hard so being ready for that is yeah. really important yeah because in order to heal you can't continue to stay in that environment yeah. like it's just going to keep pulling you back mm-hmm. and so there is in that then a lot of like grief and loss and mm-hmm. processing along the way and so it's like we have to be gentle with ourselves as we're healing yeah. because it there is so many layers to it and like you said as diverse as you can like the better your healing is going to be because you are getting it from all those different angles because there is so much that shifts yeah when we heal from that and when you were even saying like living into their eating disorder that just remind me about like how so many times people identify with their eating disorder mm-hmm. it's like for me I was like I was always the fit one or the thin one or the athletic yeah. one which was like really not the definition of anything that I was doing mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wasn't fit healthy or athletic like I really had an eating disorder but like yeah. on the outside it looked like I was fine but it was a big identity piece for me and so it was like losing that identity piece just shifted everything yeah 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 it's a whole new identity exploration sometimes as a full-grown adult now and having to shift that yeah (laughs) and to give yourself time too is really important Mm -hmm. i always remind people on average it takes about three to five years to recover from eating disorder this isn't something you're like you're gonna yeah. go to treatment and come out cured. That's not a realistic expectation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, no. a, it's a long haul. Yeah, it's yeah. a long process. Yeah, but the the healing and the freedom is worth it. Absolutely. Like, there's moments where I'll literally just be like eating ice cream with my husband and just be like almost in tears because I'm just so happy to yeah. like have that moment where it was like, oh, it's spontaneous ice cream and that was fine and I yeah. didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it is worth it, Absolutely. even though it is a long. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that the version of you years ago could have never even imagined like oh, sitting no. and eating a bowl of ice cream with someone and <laughs> no, definitely finding joy not. in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so worth it for yeah. sure. Um, other things I wanted to mention was making sure you're always honest with the professionals who are helping you. Mm-hmm. They can't help you if you're hiding parts of your behaviors or parts of how it's affecting you. Um, you might have to seek medical treatment for an eating disorder. And there's a lot of medical problems like GI issues or um, anything that affects the body weight that's going to be hard to talk about, but it's really crucial that we're honest about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just going back to making those really hard changes, I use a lot of ACT therapy, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And I wanted to offer one of the main questions from ACT therapy that Mm -hmm. really helps me with this part when it comes to like weight restoration and going through the hard medical changes um there's a a question when we start working towards acceptance and accepting all of the painful feelings and body sensations that are kind of come with change Mm -hmm. the question that act offers the client is would you rather have the life draining pain of staying stuck where you are or the life-giving pain of trying something new Mm. and that question got me through a lot of the the really rough parts yeah that is such a 
good question mm-hmm. <laughs> and such a difficult one, honestly, yeah. to ask because it's like, you know, there is like comfortability in staying stuck because mm-hmm. we know it, yeah. it's familiar and it's like, okay, that feels less scary, but it's also painful. Mm-hmm. And then it's like healing is painful too, but there's the possibility of life giving freedom at the end of it. Yeah. And so focusing on that, that mm-hmm. like there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. But if I don't go down this route, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. 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 Like you said, it's the worth it part Yeah. towards the fulfilled life and fullness and mm-hmm. all those things that we're all needing and pursuing yeah for sure yeah awesome well I think that that was a really helpful tip so I hope that people are able to kind of think through that question and really take inventory of their their lives currently and what what it could be Mm -hmm. yeah yeah me too definitely yeah um so you obviously know a lot about this topic (laughs) and i have no doubt that working with you would be a huge help for so many people Mm -hmm. and i'm just so thankful that you were on this episode i think that that's already been a huge help for so many people thank you um i know that you are starting your own private counseling Mm -hmm. um company your practice here in the pacific northwest yeah so if someone is listening to this podcast right now and she or he feels like you may be a good fit for them um, how might they go about setting up an appointment with you? Yeah, the most direct way is just my website, okay. um, goldencranecounseling.com. I'm going to have ways that you can schedule directly on there. Perfect. And then also I'm on Psychology Today, it's a website, or through Creedon, the Columbia River Eating Disorder Network. Okay. You can find my scheduling phone number on there, and then mm-hmm. also like hundreds of other eating disorder providers like even doctors and Mm -hmm. psychologists and nutritionists and all that all in one spot and they're all haze informed and um, can help treat eating disorders perfect and haze informed is a big piece health at every size for those who don't know what that means yeah very important when you are looking for whatever it is whether it's a doctor or a therapist or a dietitian like that is the important piece Mm -hmm. um but i'll put your website link in the um episode link so people Perfect. can directly click on that yeah um if they want to schedule an appointment with you that'd be great awesome cool so is there anything else you would like to add Nadine no I think we covered so much and thank you for yes. giving the chance to talk through all of this <laughs> of course no thank you so much for being on the show again like I've said a million times I think that this was very helpful and I was just yeah. so excited that you were willing and able to be on the show with me today Um, I do have one more quick question. This is one that I just like to ask everyone because it's fun and we're talking about food here. So what is your favorite food? Right now, it changes a lot. That tends Um. to be the common answer. (laughs) Yeah. Right now, my favorite food is enchiladas. Oh, I'm into the like cheesy, spicy. Yeah. Yeah, So good. (laughs) And it's like fresh on my mind because that's what we've been making a lot. So good. Yeah. No, that is like the perfect meal. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to the listeners. Uh, That is all we have for today's episode. So I hope you have a great day, morning, evening, whenever you're listening to this. I'm Annie Randall. This is Triad Warriors, and we will catch you on the next